So if you're ready, uh, Drew, why don't we uh, come on say, as they say, on Perry. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Kai Rizal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart uh, on a Monday. Yes, it's a Monday. Where we make today make sense. That's the tagline for this uh, for this podcast. And I'm Sabri Beneshore, stepping in for Kim- Kimberly Adams. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Indeed, it is a Monday. Monday, 21st of August. Sabri doing uh, doing double duty today, by the way. He filed a spot for the show, uh, and now he's doing this. So, you know, you got to get up pretty early in the morning to beat Sabri Beneshore, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, well, look, I mean, we have a stupidly early morning meeting, and then we do this at, stupidly at the end of the day, and, you know, it's a burning <laughs> candle at both ends. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we will do what we always do on this podcast, a little bit of news, a little bit of make me smile, and then we will move smartly uh, about our days. Um, Sabri, you get to go first. Oh, okay. Uh, so for my news fix, I saw a couple things. One was uh, my spot that I did for today's show, which people can listen to. It basically, basically, Japan and China buy have the most uh, U.S. Treasury bonds uh, as yeah. among foreign countries, uh, and they are a little less interested in in having them these days, uh, basically for reasons internal to their economies uh, and their currencies. But one thing that I learned in the course of doing this was that. Uh, it's actually it's not just Japan and China that has reduced appetite. If you think about it, a lot of uh, entities are less interested in holding treasury bonds. Banks uh, are less interested in holding treasuries right now. Uh, the Federal Reserve is less interested in holding treasuries mm-hmm. right now because they're you know unwinding. Um, so you have it's like on the margins like this decline in interest uh, in holding treasuries at the same time as the Treasury Department is pumping more and more of them out. Uh, And uh, anyway, that's just one reason why uh, the yields on the 10-year are so high, meaning the cost of borrowing is so high. Uh, It's just that the the borrowing that was so easy for so long is about to get, is getting, has gotten a lot more expensive uh, for the government. So I'm putting that out there. No, it's it's actually a huge story, and I'm glad, uh, number one, you did the spot for us, and I'm glad you're highlighting it here, because rising, uh, uh, the money getting more expensive is not just for you and me and the guy down the street. Money getting more expensive is for the government of the United States as well. And as we think about national debt and all that jazz, it's a real deal. It's a real deal. So, there you go. There you go. Um, Uh, You you want to do the Maui thing mm -hmm. real quick since Biden's out there? Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, you know, this has been becoming more prominent over the over the past week, I'd say. But people are concerned that there would be a land grab in the aftermath of these fires. Mm-hmm. The governor has said, you know, we're going to put a moratorium on anyone snapping up uh, land, even threatening to prosecute people who pursue uh, unsolicited offers to buy land in the wake of this disaster. And it's just it's it's just very it resurrects a very tragic history, uh, you know, where, mm-hmm. where, you know, U.S. colonists took away, overthrow the Hawaiian uh, royal family. They took a bunch of land, took a bunch of royal land. And, um, you know, you throw that in with gentrification concerns uh, that you see in many holiday getaway spots, but this one in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, I, I personally just wonder how they will, how they will do that because I imagine there's probably a right. lot of desperate for people who who might be inclined to sell. Uh, and um, you know, how how are they going to help those folks out to keep right. them from doing that? I think that's, that's what the goal is. You betcha. 
No, totally. I, I totally agree. And it's, you know, it's a tragic enough story without people being taken advantage of. And I, I you know, the governor of Hawaii, uh, Governor Green, has said he's going to keep an eye on that. And we'll see. We'll see if he can actually deliver on that promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, OK, so mine are uh, twofold. One is a long, long, long read. And then the other one is a uh, slightly shorter, but, uh, you know, kind of dense read. There's a, a piece out in The New Yorker today by Ronan Farrow about Elon Musk. Uh, and how he has come to dominate so many things, not just electric vehicles, not just uh, rocket ships, but also the Internet and satellites and how that is playing out specifically in Ukraine with his Starlink system. And, and I, I will let you read it yourself. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's like a free copy that I got somehow, but I think you can I think this one is not behind the paywall. Um, yeah. and, and it's uh, Wow. So let's just say benevolent dictator is is uh, it is not quite the right phrase because benevolent is not what Elon Musk is doing now. And, and we've talked about him a lot on this podcast with Twitter and Tesla and SpaceX and all that jazz. But there's more to that guy than meets the eye and not all of it is good. And you should read this piece in The New Yorker. That is all I have to say, because it's it's mm. just something, 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 something. Yeah. You the know, other one I, I, uh, that I want. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, the, the idea of a super rich, super powerful individual having influence on world affairs is usually something you see in the movies. You know, it's yeah. usually, um, you know, it's it, because it's so it's so all, it seems so fictional that one person right, would in right, reality right, right, have right. so much power. Right. But the, right. it, it's 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 real. I mean, this guy has the, the, the balance of a war in his hand. He has so much power. He has so mm. much power. And it's just it's not right. Uh, anyway, so that's that. So here's the really wonky one, and I just offer this as fodder for those of you who are gripped, as I am, by Jay Powell's speech uh, coming up on Friday. I'm not really gripped. I'll read it, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, so the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City hosts an annual shindig up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's a very big deal. Lots of people are there. There will be lots of speeches. The most important speech will be given by Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, who knows what he's going to say, but uh, there is now an increasing call. Uh, Mohamed Alarian did it on Marketplace a couple of weeks ago. Jason Furman does it in the Wall Street Journal today. Furman, of course, ran the Council of Economic Advisors under um, Obama. Um, for the Fed to decide that um, they want now a 3% target for inflation as opposed to a 2% target for inflation. And why does that matter? Well, we are at 3% right now. Uh, and if you believe, as Rafael Bostic does, the president of the Atlanta Fed, that now the hard part has started for the Fed because it has been um, completely successful in getting interest rates down from or inflation down from 9 percent to 3 percent where it sits now. But if they want to try to get it to 2 percent, it's going to be much, much harder. It is, in fact, the hard part. That is what Bostic says. And so maybe El Arian and Jason Furman say the Fed ought to just say, you know what, we're good at 3 percent. We're going to put it at 3% and we're going to leave it there. It's an interesting idea. There is zero chance, zero chance that Jay Powell comes out on Friday and says, yep, 3%, we're happy now. But it's an interesting <laughs> discussion because, the, I mean, the Fed has been has been beleaguered in its attempts to get inflation back up to 2% when inflation was running really low. And they have yeah. been uh, reasonably uh, hard-pressed to get it down to 2%. So it, I, I think they ought to give it a whack. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I have never understood personally why they decided 
2% versus 3% versus 1.5% to begin with. I've never quite nailed down Cause, why cause, they... Because New, New Zealand did it. Truly. Mm. The Central Bank Maybe. of New Zealand did it, or the Royal Bank of New Zealand, or whatever it is, and everybody mm. kind of followed suit. And, and mm. now we're just kind of stuck with it because the Kiwis did it. Love New Zealanders, huh. love I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a- anyway, all yeah. right. Let's, um, let's move along here. We're getting, we're getting very dense. Drew, let's hook us up. No, look at this. I'm looking at your thing. I did not. Well, you tell the thing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give my reaction to it. Oh, yeah. The Venus flytrap has been removed from the endangered species list. And as a plant person, that is fun news for me, although it's still a state-endangered uh, plant. But basically, the I guess the, the federal U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency, yes, uh, uh, U.S. Yes. Fish and Wildlife Agency says, uh, basically, there's so many people helping it, uh, and as long as they keep helping it, it's going to be fine. So we don't need to put it on the list. So, so did you know that the Venus flytrap was on the endangered list? You probably did, because you're a, a very serious... I mean, you, you, you discount yourself by saying you're just a plant guy. You are a very serious plant-knowledgeable person, truly. <laughs> I knew it was protected, but I did not know at what legal level it was protected. Uh, so, I, yeah, I guess I did not know it was actually on the actual endangered species list. Um, but, you know, it, it grows in the U.S. I don't know if people know that, but it grows in, like, North Carolina, South Carolina, and sort of swampy areas. Um, it's like a, it's so foreign, but it's actually very homegrown hmm. and you can buy, like you can buy a, they breed it now, like to make fancy versions of Venus flytraps with all like different colors and frills and stuff. So, uh, you can own one. They're perfectly legal to own. You just can't like pick them up from the wild, which is hmm. a terrible idea for any plant really. All right. So, uh, so here's mine. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a big soccer fan. And of course I was up very early on Sunday morning to watch the women's final Spain beats, um, uh, England won nothing, but there was a news conference on Friday in Australia in which the head of FIFA, which is the, the, uh, soccer's governing body, the president of FIFA Gianni Infantino gave a speech in which he announced that, uh, the women's world cup was break even this year at $570 million uh, in revenue, which is awesome and great for the women's game. It will let the women um, get more money, not enough money because they don't get paid as much as the men. Um, but that's really good news. It's really cool that um, the women's game is so popular. I will then just have to point out that Gianna Infantino went on to say this to the women as they're wrapping up just a spectacular tournament. Here's the quote, which just shake my damn head. Pick the right battles. Pick the right fights. You have the power to change. You have the power to convince us men what we have to do and what we don't have to do. Just do it. With men, with FIFA, you'll find open doors. Just push the doors. Dude, read the room. Okay. Read the room. (laughs) Read the room. I I can't even with that. I I just, I just... It was such a good tournament, and and it was just, it's great that they're making money, and it's great that women are getting more money now, but the idea that women have to put up with that crud um, just yeah, bugs me. That, just bugs me. Yeah. That's all I'm uh, saying. It was, yeah. That's all I'm saying. There we go. All right. So we're done on a, where are we? On a Monday. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of robo-taxi stuff. Uh, it's going to be me and Rima, uh, Rima Kreis. 
uh, on our Tuesday show on a deep dive. Self-driving cars, robo-taxis, all that good stuff. Why is it so hard? Where are we with that technology? Where are we with safety and regulations? Um, and is perhaps the self-driving future already here? Spoiler alert, no, because we have to get better than this if it's going to be self-driving future. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, call us and tell us if you've been in one of those robo-taxis. And if so, how terrifying was it? Uh, 508, you'd be smart, or email works as well. Make me smart at marketplace.org is how you get to us. And we read them all. Or, you know, Courtney does. I don't Kimberly doesn't. Sabrina doesn't. Nova doesn't. Kimberly <laughs> does, though. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Secret Today's program was engineered by Drew Jost. Ed Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Neil Farshabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Yes, she is. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Grace, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.